want you to come and pray for this man of God. Okay. That the anointing of God is going to richly rest upon him. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Your word goes forth and it heals. Your word goes forth and it gives life. So we thank you for Phil. Thank you for the word that you've placed on his heart. Thank you that you will strengthen him, uphold him with your right hand. That your word may go forth in power that it shall achieve the purpose to which you send it, that it should perform that which you desire. Thank you, Father. May we receive your word with open hearts, open minds, that we may see what you have for us, that we may understand your purpose for our lives, so that we may be changed and transformed. For your honour and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. When Jesus was crucified, those that followed him, and of course those that were the closest, were really devastated. They didn't know what this meant for their future. And almost immediately, just to fill the space of their life, not knowing what to do, they did what they knew to do, at least some of them, and they went fishing. Um, They had to do something. This is what came natural for them to do. They were confused. They didn't know what to make of things. As they're fishing and they're coming near the coast, if we know our Bibles well, we know the story where one of them sees somebody on the shore and he's, he's got a fire Apparently he's cooking. And one of them obviously can see better than the others and he says, Jesus is there on the shore. And we know the excitement of Peter uh, wrapping his garments around him and jumping over the boat in excitement and rushing to where his resurrected Jesus was. And we know then that he has a meal with them. And at the end of the meal he and if he drew Peter aside, we don't know, or he said it within the midst of them. But it was, Peter had denied him. He denied him three times. When he was challenged about whether he was a follower of Jesus, he said, no, I'm not. And he sort of cursed or rebuked him as the, the challenges became more and more serious. Jesus has something in his mind. He wants to reinstate Peter because he's let his master down so badly. He feels awful. I was just thinking, you know, as he ate the breakfast, he didn't have much to say. As he ate the breakfast, he didn't look into the eyes of Jesus because the last time he looked into the eyes of Jesus, his eyes dropped straight to the floor because it says that Christ looked at him when he denied him and he ran out and wept bitterly. He so much needed the kind words of Jesus to be reinstated again. And so he does, and he does it in a, in a wonderful way. He brings, he says the thing to him three times, indicating, this is in my mind, 
But what I'm giving you to do means I'm eradicating this from my mind and we're overcoming this problem that me and you had. And he said, do you love me? And he said, "Uh, of course you know I love you. And he said, I want you to feed my lambs. Then he says again, do you love me? Again, this is hard the second time. And he says, well, if you love me, then take care of my sheep. And in the third time, so he gets the point, he tells him to feed the sheep. (coughs) Generally speaking, the feeding of the sheep is the preaching of the word of God. I think this is illustrated for us because later in the book of Acts, what happens is that there is a situation in the church where the elderly are not taking care of, or being taken care of properly. There is, they're not receiving all that they should to assist them, food and so forth. And this problem comes to the ears of the apostles. And they say, come on, we must go sort this problem out. And the Spirit of the Lord says, no, you're not to sort it out. To get someone else to sort it out... Yes, you are to take care of the problem, but not you directly. Your job is to dedicate yourself to the Word of God and to prayer so that you can feed the flock of God. So the general idea about feeding is about speaking or teaching or instructing. I've been with you 14 years. Some people say, don't keep mentioning the fact that you're going. It's bad enough that you're going. Well, that's very kind of you, but it's stupid to just brush things under the carpet. We have to talk about these things. In the 14 years, I have, um, to the best of my ability, taken care of you. Some, perhaps I've taken care of more than others. I appreciate that. As, as the need arose or I was, it was, I was being drawn upon, I did that. I've preached to you, I I would look how many sermons, it's probably something like 700 sermons in the period I've been with you. I've stood at a pulpit like this, whether it was at Greenford Gospel for a very short period of time, uh, or over there, or here, or the cafe. I've stood here in front of you here 350 times, approximately, and brought the Word of God to you. When we ran a Bible school, there were hundreds and hundreds of lessons that I gave in the Bible school and beside that other opportunities to preach. So it's about 700 times. I've preached a whole range of topics. I hope directly or indirectly Christ was in every message that I preached. I've preached about the role of men and women. I've preached about the second coming of Christ. I've preached about how Jesus is the pattern of worship in the tabernacle. I've preached about how we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. Really diverse things. And a thought that struck me is, Jesus is really diverse. At one part of our worship time, we were reminding ourselves that he is our strong defender. He leads us into battle. He is the captain of the army of God. And within a few minutes, we're encouraged to dance with him. See how broad he is. He's all things to all men. 
and to all women, that he might win some. If you need someone to dance with, he's there. If you need a strong soldier, he's there. If you need someone to counsel you, he's there. Christ covers the whole spectrum of human relationship for us. And so I hope that the sermons that I've preached to you have covered a wide spectrum of the person of Christ. Whether it's the church or the ministry that God has given us, it's a wide spectrum. Um, I don't know how long we'll be with, with you. Obviously the property is being sold. When it is, we will have to move, although it's anticipated I will be here with you for four months. In those four months, I'm scheduled to preach to you eight times more. Because we have schedules, believe it or not. We're not as haphazard as it looks. I thought to myself, what, what would be these parting messages to these people that I've walked with and shared my life with, my heart, my mind? What would I share with them over these last few months? All the hundreds and hundreds of messages that I brought. And I thought to myself, I'll make a list I'll make my top 10. Top 10 of the messages that have impressed me most. Impressed me in a way, in the way I studied them and got them and delivered them. And the message that I think are most vital to you as a Christian. We're going to start on the first today. I want to talk about the spiritual warfare we have been drawn into and the deliverance that God has made available to every one of us so we become equipped soldiers of Christ when you first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ it sounded good it's like yes that's what I want sins forgiven peace hope for the future, wonderful stories of deliverance and power and all this. This is what I want. We didn't tell you everything at the first time. You didn't realise you were being enlisted in an army to fight a very evil foe. You didn't get that. We don't tell you everything at first. You might run away if you knew the whole truth. So, from the day you got saved, you were drawn into an army. An army that was at war. Satan's forces are at war in the world. He is at war against the Church of Christ. And if you are a member of the church by committing your life to Christ, he's at war with you. Because you're a soldier, by definition of being a member of the body of Christ and a member of his church. You're going to be at war for the rest of your life. You will be engaged in many battles... And some you will most definitely lose. 
And some you will win. The battle then rages in three arenas. It rages first in the world. Satan hates the whole of God's creation, but he hates you more. Let's get that fixed. You just turn your telly on and you see how much Satan hates the world. I mean, you know those pictures of starving thousands, millions of starving precious children and their mothers, the warfare, the conflict, people just uh, moving around in the world, just trying to find a place where they can call home and have nothing. When they do call this place home, they have nothing in our own nation or with the crime and the problems that we see coming at us at the telly. The government doing their best to solve the problem, to patch things up, to create things differently, knowing full well they can't, can they? It sort of doesn't matter who you put in power. You might be blue, you might be yellow, you might be red, it doesn't matter. I mean, in the end, they're on a losing battle. God bless them, they do do their best. I'm not knocking them. We have a wonderful system, one of the best systems in the world of government, but they are on a losing battle. Because the enemy, it says in 1 John 5 and 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's the reality of life. In the church, he is at war against the church. Let me tell you what it says in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That means the gates of hell are definitely going to attack it. We're just promised by God that in the final outcome, he will secure victory. But the devil has come against many churches and destroyed them. He has removed them from the scene of time. Churches have played often into his hands unbeknowingly and he has gained victory in their lives. And finally, in our own lives, we could pick on many, many verses of Scripture, but the one I'm just going to choose, and you know it so well, Ephesians 6 and 12, it says, for our struggle is against forces of evil. That's it. You are struggling every day against forces of evil. Sometimes you get a little respite only to know he's coming back to start the battle all over again. The final battle, the outcome of the whole war, I should say, not battle, a battle is a small part of a war, the outcome of the whole thing is that we win. Amen? It says so in the book. We can trust it. We win. We win completely. The enemy is put away with forever and we win. He's really outnumbered, isn't he? Angels, two to one. Yes? We know that a third of the angels fell with Satan, so two-thirds are still on God's side. So the angels are outnumbered two to one. Satan has at his disposal many, many evil, unclean demon spirits. I'll tell you something about an evil spirit. 
It has to be somewhere. It cannot be everywhere at once. And there are a finite number of them. So Satan has to organize his warfare and strategy with a finite number of demons, a smaller number of angels, and his demons can only be in one place at a time. On God's side, he has the Holy Spirit that fills the whole universe and can be everywhere at once, in every one of his people at once, and is moving freely through the earth as he wants to. The final thing is that God is all-powerful. God can say and do anything and everything he wants to do. And our Bible indicates that Satan is only allowed to do what God even permits him to do in the whole picture of things. Whereas Satan is a created being. One time an archangel therefore has the authority and power only of an archangel and nothing more. In that power he uses it for evil where the other archangels use it for good. We have a battle to fight in this nation, in this generation. We have forces to contend with, evil spirits to contend with, because they can adjust themselves, that other nations don't contend with, and we don't contend with the demonic spirits they have. So if you go to Central Africa, you might be contending with voodoo spirits. We don't have much voodoo spirit here. We have some. I would suggest to you, we have a spirit that's so evil and sinister and undermining of the people of God. It's as powerful as voodoo and it does as much harm. You say, what on earth is that? Internet pornography. Without a shadow of a doubt. See, former generations in this nation, if you wanted pornography, you went and bought it in a shop, a magazine on a top shelf, or you sent away for something that came in a brown envelope. I'm sorry I've got to talk about it like this. But today, you simply go to your bedroom at any age and press a button. And something more vast and greater than you've ever been able to lay your hands on before is right in front of you. To the point where you can have relationships with people that is coming through the screen. It's a big, big problem. Vast problem. There's lots of other things that we could examine that aren't weren't in a former generation that are now or in other parts of the world that aren't now. We win the war, but there will always be casualties of war. And some casualties happen through friendly fire. I don't know how any fire can be friendly, 
because you lose your life. And sometimes in the church, we're very good at destroying our own. So we have to be very careful. Our commanding officer tells us, be vigilant because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said that through Peter, I know. But he said more than once, you need to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because when you think you're safe, that's when you've lost. I believe that Satan has a settled war plan in all of this. I think it's settled in two ways. It's settled in his own mind because it works, so why would he change it? It's also settled because God has put a boundary what Satan can do to us. In cases where he needs to come against the people of God, God has said, you will only go this far and no further. Satan has a two-pronged attack against the church and the people of God. The first attack is to outmaneuver God's leaders. That's it. If you can destroy leadership at whatever level, I'm not just talking about pastors and apostles and prophets, leadership at any, any level within the church, if you can outmaneuver leaders, the work will stop. The warfare will come to an end. How does he do this? He frustrates them. People get visions from the Lord, ideas of what they'll do, and they want to launch out and do it. And every turn they make, they are frustrated. Either from existing church leaders, they cannot get the finances they require, frustration to what they want to achieve. It can't inspire people to see that this is the mind and will of God. The second thing Satan does against leaders, it causes their downfall. When I was a young man in ministry, I've shared this with you before, I was warned about three things. Remember what they were? The gold, the glory, and the... <laughs> you can't say women when I've given you two Gs. The, no, unfortunately, the gossip is disrupted. It's the gold, the glory, and the girls. Girls, well done. Be on your guard because the enemy will use whatever he can, whatever your weakness is, to pull down, to destroy your testimony, to undermine the work of God in your life. I'm not just talking about church leaders. I'm talking about anyone who leads in a ministry, leading God's people. His desire is to pull them down and take them out of ministry. And of course, the third thing is to drive them out of service. I could give you a list in my own personal life of 20 to 30 people that I know were called to ministry, they were in ministry, and they're not in ministry now. 
they were driven out of ministry one way or another. The other attack that he has, this two-pronged attack, is to neutralise the churches that might pose a threat. Now, do we pose a threat to Satan? Think about it. As a church, are we posing a threat? If your answer is yes, you need to explain to me what the threat is. I know in theory... We're all a threat. But if we don't do anything, then we're not a threat. See, I said that Satan is limited in his agents, his demons, or his fallen angels. If there is a church over there that is not posing a threat, he can leave them there, because they're not a threat. If there is a church over here that is really posing a threat to the building up, the establishment, the extension of the kingdom of God, he needs to bring the, the enemy in to surround that body of people to, to make it of no effect. Do we pose a threat to Satan? Does Hope, <laughs> does Hope Community Church pose a threat to Satan? Something yes and something no. Don't think about what you're doing. Think about the church that you are part of. Do we pose a threat to Satan? Is he worried about our program? Is he worried about what we are planning to do? Or can he draw his demons off us and send them somewhere else? How does he neutralize the church from becoming a threat? We see what he does to leaders. What does he do to the whole congregation? Number one, he creates internal problems. We're so busy fighting amongst ourselves, we haven't got any energy or time to fight the enemy. Many churches spend all their lives fighting one another. That is a reality. Secondly, he keeps everyone in the church so busy. That's it. Busy. So busy that even if we had a strategy, we wouldn't have any troops to call on to fight because everyone is so busy. Isn't that a smart move? I tell you, so Satan is a lot smarter than we give him credit for. keeps you busy I can't come I can't come I can't get involved in this I can't do this ministry I can't commit my time to this I can't do that that's it then the third thing he does he isolates us one from another if this is when you meet your brothers and sisters and no other time can I suggest to you you're isolated because even in this meeting, you're isolated. It's just you and me. It's you and the worship. It's you and the cup of coffee. And you going home. We can't build relationship on a Sunday morning. We have to build it outside. Otherwise, he's doing a fantastic job 
of isolating us one from another. And so the church in itself does not pose a threat. We have to outwit him. Paul says we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, and we're not. But we might as well be unless we counter those devices. Satan, since creation, has been at war with the covenant people of God. Right in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, he was warring against the people of God. How does he do this? What's this personal warfare like? When we're sinning, or we're being sinned against, that is an agent of Satan attacking you. Let's take that one in. When you're sinning, or being sinned against, Satan has sent an agent to cause that to happen. God didn't send the agent. You wouldn't choose to sin, but he has sent an agent to lure you into sin, to goad you into sin. He has caused others to come and upset you, so you're goaded into sin. Sin is not something that we do. Sin, sin is a person. As much as the Holy Spirit is a person. It says this in Genesis chapter 4. From verse 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses there of Genesis 4. It's about Cain and Abel. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Cain tills the ground, grows seed, takes the seed and brings it to God as an offering. Abel raises sheep, takes the lamb, slaughters the lamb and presents it to God. Cain's offering is unacceptable. Abel's offering is acceptable. I could preach a whole sermon on that, and I have done, and we're not going there again. Okay, moving on. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. He looked on favour on Abel because of his offering. Abel was a bad man. That's why he brought the sheep to start with. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. See this in your mind's eye. 
When the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching. That's why I say sin isn't what we do. It's crouching. It must have personality, bodily form of some sort, even if it's an invisible bodily form, to crouch. Sin is crouching at your door, the door of your heart. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Something was crouching at the door of Cain's heart. God said, listen, you need to change your attitude, your thoughts about your brother. It's wrong. You know it's wrong. Unless you change this thing that is crouching at the door of your heart, he'll smash his way in and take up residence within you. And who knows what will happen? But we do know what happened, don't we? That anger he had towards his brother turned into murder. Satan deploys spirits to destroy your life. They crouch at the door of your heart seeking to gain entry. If you let them in, they will take up residence and destroy you as a soldier of Christ. How does this happen? Well, we've read one example of how it happens with Cain. But these are how these other spirits come to us. If we receive poor parenting, spirits came into us as children. I prayed for three people this week for deliverance. Two of them were 12-year-old girls. One of them, both were brought to me by their parents. Both of them experienced getting deliverance from things at 12 years of age. One girl gets so angry, the mother didn't know what to do with her and brought her. The other girl we discovered, after some counselling and talking, she had been molested by her father, who was distant from the home, and now it was all going wrong at the age of 12. She was slashing her wrists. She was becoming uncontrollable. Okay. See, Satan crouched at the door and found a place of entry. Poor parenting. Now, these were good parents because they recognised the problem and they brought their little girls to the minister of God who could do something about it. We are a threat to the enemy if we minister deliverance. If we don't, we're not a threat to the enemy in that sphere at all, ever.
These people didn't come from this church. I minister to people on a weekly basis without any exaggeration. The, the coffee shop staff can substantiate that. People are coming all the time. People who go to other churches, but because that ministry is not taking part in those churches, they find themselves where they can get ministry. They say, where do you meet on Sunday? I never tell them. No, you must stay in your church. You must be sent to another church if God sends you to another church, not because you're fed up with this one, please. We need to be directed by the Spirit of God. But if we engaged in the warfare that we're meant to be engaged with, casting out the demons, healing the sick, moving in the power of the Spirit, we would be a force to be reckoned with. And a thousand more demons would be at our door. What do you say to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Ruth, I never heard it too loud, sister. She's just mulling that one over. We're going to be a threat or we're not going to be a threat. We need to be a threat to the enemy. We most certainly need to be a threat to the enemy. Otherwise, our existence is questionable. Poor parenting, unchecked rebellion, insufficient love, unforgiving hearts, continuing in blatant sin, having a wrong attitude, as in the case of Cain. Our conversation must never be negative. We allow the enemy to intimidate us. We're ignorant of what sin is. And he deceives us with his lies. To name but a few of his strategy to make us totally ineffective as the Church of Jesus Christ. I know what you're saying. Phil, can you give us one nice message before you go, please? Amen. Just a nice one. I might fit one in before I go. See, but I'm... I'm serious about this stuff. Honestly, I could say Jesus loves you and keep skipping all the way to heaven and give each other's cups of tea and be nice. That is not what the kingdom of God is all about. It is about a battle that we have been enlisted into. And first we get ourselves freed up so we're in a position to free others up. And we dedicate ourselves to the cause of the kingdom of God or we dedicate ourselves to nothing. I think you're a good bunch, really. I do. I mean, as churches go, I do, honestly. You say, but there's always room for improvement. I was a school teacher. I'd always write that. Always. It was though it was, had to put that. Jimmy is really doing well, but there's room for improvement. I must have wrote that 3,000 times when I wrote reports out for my kids. And I'd say, I put the same report for you. You're doing well, but there's room for improvement. Unless you're like Jesus, there is room for improvement. And there's room for improvement in me. And I want to improve until I take my last breath. I want to take in what God is trying to say to me, explain to me, take it on board, be transformed into the person of Christ as far as it's possible within me.
through these doorways of assaulting our lives. He batters the door down. Sometimes it's because of our sin or the sin of others, but sin will always create an opening for the enemy to come in. He'll take up residence in our heart and he'll cause us to be ineffective soldiers of Christ. I have a little plan if you've ever come to me for deliverance and if you haven't, shame on you. The plan is you have seven areas of problem in your life. Rejection. Rebellion. Unforgiveness. Fear. Sexual sins. The occult. And inherited curses in your life. Some of them were your fault. And some of them were not your fault. It doesn't matter. There is no condemnation in Christ. But we stand in a place if we do nothing about the weaknesses that are going on within us. We have to give an account for that because Christ has made provision. When Christ went to the cross, he didn't only die for your sins. He disarmed principalities and powers that they could not break into your life and dictate your life to you anymore. But you are responsible for this temple. If you allow that stuff to go on in you, that's your fault. You say, I thought it was natural to be afraid. I've always felt like this, a little bit on the outside. I find it very difficult to forgive people. I just thought that was natural. It's not. It's not. A ten-point personal check. Then I'm shutting up. Because I spoke too long last week, but less this week. Only by a few minutes. Do you feel your Christianity is in a rut? It's not going anywhere. You're just walking down the same thing all the time and the rut's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you struggle with the chaos inside you? You know those argumentative tensions on the inside? Where it's like the spirit is... The Spirit of God is saying one thing and you think it's you saying the other, but you don't know it's an evil spirit within you arguing constantly with you so you're never resolving the chaos on the inside. Do you really enjoy the Christian life? Did you wake up this morning going, praise the Lord, I can't wait to get to hope. It's so fat fantastic following Jesus my opportunity to praise him and to hear Phil going on again I can't wait to hear or is it mundane oh well Sunday back go to church again I'll do it next week and the week after and the week after and the week after as long as I can physically do it until I die are you a driven person seldom at peace driven Next thing, next thing, moving on, moving on, must get this done, must finish this thing. Do you find it hard to live loving people on a daily basis? To love people, very simple. We go, I can't give a monkey's about them really. Don't care, don't care. Do you find it hard to live by faith and trust God with everything in your life? Every penny, the future, where you live, who you marry, when you die. 
find it hard to give your money away. Just give it away. Just give it away. So many poor, needy people in the world. Could you do that? Do you constantly hear yourself moaning, complaining, criticising, day after day after day until you're fed up of the sound of your own voice? Are you looking forward to going to heaven? Or does this life mean more to you than the next one? That means you're earthbound. Do you spend most of your time thinking about others or yourself? You say, they're not all demons, surely. I don't know. But even if only one of them was, I'd want to get rid of it. And I've discovered, by and large, demons don't leave you. Because they need to be cast out. These signs will follow them that believe in my name, they will cast out demons. It says it more than once. Do you have demons in you? Demons that are destroying you, destroying your joy, destroying your development, destroying your growth as a Christian, destroying the ministry you might be seeking to put your hand... Are they? Well, you need to do something about it. You say, what? Well, the least you can do is phone me up and come make an appointment and get delivered. You say, Philip, you might have a hundred phone calls this week. Wouldn't that be good? That would be the best sermon I'd ever preached in my life. Because I know it would have gone home. I know it would have gone home. And what we'd have to do is train up people here to do the work of the ministry. Do you know what would be very sad to me? If when I went, no one took up the gauntlet of deliverance ministry in this church. Some of you have never benefited from the fact that you have it in the body of Christ here. Never. Never dealt with it. Never confronted it. Never come to see me. Never come to have a checkup. Never came to make sure. You could have. Over the last 14 years, you could have checked me out. I would have put time into you. We could have ticked the boxes just to make sure. But you didn't avail yourself of it. You've got four months. We've got time to raise up a team of people that can carry the gauntlet forward. Amen? Amen. That's your lot. That's number one out of the way. Okay, over to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can I? Can I? Fifteen years it's been hidden away in my hidden away. And everything you spoke about today was about the army. Hallelujah. Never been out ever. Today was the day I was born. Jesus says, "Very good to hear you say unto you." 